Check out the new season of Audible's exclusive podcast series, The Pursuit of Healthiness, with Blake Griffin, where the NBA superstar talks whole body health with guests like Michael B. Jordan, Kevin Durant, and Malcolm Gladwell. And it's included with membership. Audible is where you'll find bestsellers, new releases, plus tons of included titles you can listen to all you want. Start a free 30-day trial today at audible.com. Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbus and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For For Chemist Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage moving and Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in what has been a seismic week in the world game. First edition news with Willem van Danderen shortly and of course during the show we'll be joined by our 250 game veteran of the Victorian Premier League and former Notts County man Dean Hennessy and our former ITN journo turned pundit Derek Dyson. But even in the wake of an A-League coach sacking there is only one story to open this week's show with. A story that from the time it broke on Monday morning our time escalated and blew up before our very eyes. I'm talking of course about Super League. To discuss it, one of the world's most revered football journalists, Henry Winter from the Times, returns to reflect both on the cloak and dagger manner in which the story was broken in his paper, to the humiliating backdown by some of the world's wealthiest people as the voice of the people crushed the concept within 48 hours. We've been gripped by the news all week and it'll be fascinating to talk to Henry about it, but as he has written in his latest article, for all the stirring opposition to Operation Greed, it will return. And while we'll revisit the Super League story throughout the show, in the domestic league, the rise of Melbourne City is a story which can't be ignored, and Curtis Good in the centre of defence has been central to the citizens' brilliant form of late. He'll join us to talk about Saturday night's thrashing of their crosstown rivals, which led to that coach sacking, plus plenty more A-League, including some thoughts on victory to wrap up the hour. In the second hour, Willem will kick off with second edition news and the latest on Socceroos and Matilda's Central in the wake of the Olympic draws, which we'll talk about. They were released in the last 48 hours. Then our mate, Michael Lynch from The Age. He challenged me earlier in the season when I declared the victory were in crisis. Well, there's no argument now. After being embarrassed by City, the sacking of coach Grant Brebner was announced in the post-match press conference and ironically, in a week where discussion on closed shop competitions has been the theme, their position in the A-League is in no danger, but the positions of just about everyone at the club is. That is with the exception of new coach Tony Popovich appointed in the last 48 hours as well. There's been a football this week in Europe, of course. It was played under the pall of the fan outrage and if, even if if they can't get into the stadiums, all that with Dino and Derek. And we'll wrap up with stoppage time reflecting on the future of this Super League story to bookend the show and uh, where we think it'll go from here. So, Edgy, it was, it was radio, podcast, it was print. You just couldn't get enough of it over that uh, what, two, three-day period. It was a volcanic explosion, Rob, wasn't it? And mm. uh, wasn't it uh, interesting to watch? But if it hadn't been for Super League, mm. what would Willem's uh, opening story be? Would it be Mourinho sacking at Tottenham? Would True. it be Grant Brebner at uh, East post-match uh, slaughter mm. at uh, Melbourne Victory or Popovich's appointment or the Champion League's reform. Maybe it would have been Norwich. sports flick falling apart. Or could have been, been that too. Or even Norwich City uh, returning to the mm. Premier League next year, having secured promotion. Your favourite uh, player, Timu Puki back in the Premier League. Willem. Hello, Michael. Hello, Rob. Yes, of course, no doubt about what the top story is. Football's most tumultuous week in recent memory has seen the European Super League announced by 12 of Europe's biggest clubs, denounced in the strongest terms possible by fans and players far and wide, and collapse 
all within 48 hours. As we speak, only Real Madrid president Florentino Perez remains adamant the concept can proceed, despite 10 of the original 12 clubs withdrawing. All football fans, us included, of course, have been gripped by the story, but given it moved so quickly, I thought we could go back to the start for just a quick recap. The start was, of course, on Sunday afternoon, Europe time, when 12 clubs announced their plans to form the Super League, a midweek competition in place of the Champions League that would ensure their participation each and every season. By the time we awoke to the story here in Australia, Gary Neville's diatribe had already grown to represent the rage fans across the world were feeling. It's an absolute disgrace and honestly we have to wrestle back the power in this country from the clubs at the top of this league and that includes my club and I've been calling for 12 months as part of another group for an independent regulator to bring checks and balances in place to stop this happening. It's pure greed. They're imposters. They're imposters. They're nothing to do. The owners of this club, the owners of Liverpool, the owners of Chelsea, the owners of Manchester City, they're nothing to do with football in this country. There are a hundred and odd years of history in this country from fans that have lived and loved these clubs. And they need protecting. The fans need protecting. Within two days, all six Premier League clubs had pulled out in the face of criticism from all and sundry, including UEFA president Alexander Seferin, Boris Johnson and Prince William. By Thursday, Atletico Madrid, Inter, AC Milan and Juventus had joined them, with varying levels of contrition slowly seeping out of the clubs. The Super League looks dead in the water and like a bit of a win for people power, Rob, at this point, but you mentioned off the top, but for how long? And we'll speak to Henry about it a little bit later on, but yeah, for how long does it seem like this will be the case? Yeah, exactly. Um, they're like the, the pack of dogs which uh, which leapt in for uh, the vulnerable animal in the uh, in the jungle, but uh, they, were, they were shooed off by a man with a shotgun and they've had to run away and hide but they'll be there they'll be lurking they'll be waiting for the next opportunity to get involved uh, Michael you've seen this you've had a career in this game you've seen various versions probably nothing as big as this but uh, but they don't go away do they? No they don't go away but um, just some astonishing quotes um, you know UEFA's pre- um, uh, Supremo Seferin talking about the dirty dozen obviously the 12 Super League clubs talking about snakes in the mist um, <laughs> we had Boris Johnson threatening a legislative bomb on I mean, mm-hmm. the, the, the extent of the uh, eruption around this uh, was was quite unbelievable. And I think uh, just from previous experience, having seen similar sort of big stories in European football gain traction and then, uh, you know, unravel very quickly. I think I said... That you did say it. You I did say, say it. Within 72 mm-hmm. hours, this will all be over because mm-hmm. the outrage mm-hmm. was palpable right from the beginning. And Gary Neville, didn't he sum it up very well mm-hmm. right at the beginning? And and so many former legends of these big six clubs mm-hmm. in uh, mm-hmm. in England coming out to... Uh, effectively, you know, turning on their own and, mm. and, and just the words of disgust, disdain, uh, horror... Um, yeah, it was was quite uh, unprecedented. Yeah, I loved it when the world's most famous Aston Villa fan climbed in as well and <laughs> just put that last uh, uh, straw on that camel's back, Prince Bill. Uh, In remarkable news given the week we've just had, the new format for the UEFA Champions League has been approved with the changes to come into effect for the 2024-25 campaign. The changes will see four teams added to the competition and the group phase expanded to see six groups of six, which they're going to call a league phase instead, Michael. Looks like a group phase to me. With each side to play play 10 games. The groups will be decided upon UEFA's rankings coefficient with the extra four slots to be filled by wildcards based on past European performance. So it looks to some extent like the big clubs got their way in the end Michael because those four extra slots are going to be weighted by European history and success making it harder for clubs to to miss out. Bigger clubs to miss out. Yeah it makes it harder for the bigger clubs to miss out doesn't it but it still preserves the 
you know, the Leicester Cities, for example, and winning the Premier League and securing their spot uh, in in the competition, and that's significant. I think where this is broken down from the big clubs perspective and sort of had a role in, uh, you know, uh, the Super League sort of announcement was just the share of money. Uh, they, they, they didn't get nearly anything like uh, what they originally proposed. So do you think that was the start high tactic and this is what they were eventually angling for? Or do they do genuinely want the Super League and they've had to sort of con- compromise and have this for now? But well, they might. They the might Super League's been in discussion for 10 years and I just imagine this has played a role in uh, amping up the, the motivation for it. The fear of the smaller domestic competitions and their future given this expanded Champions League campaign uh, remains an issue and mm-hmm. we're going to see the group phase expanded from 125 games to 225, so that certainly remains uh, a big fear going forward for those smaller clubs. Yeah, it does. Um, the, the League Cups in various countries, of course, uh, the capacity to qualify through that route and uh, uh, and what that means to various competitions, the smaller competitions. But look, I think anything is better than the, uh, the option that was being mooted. Uh, I heard one... Uh, um, a BBC reporter t- talking about it as if it was uh, it was if you were turning up to a poker game with a billion dollar chip and you yes. put it all down on the table and uh, and lost. So uh, yeah, I, I I do think they were legit and they they were attempting to and uh, and it seems that uh, that City and uh, and Chelsea were bullied in at the last minute and uh, and we know they were the first two to waver and pull out uh, even while the the crisis meeting was going on uh, when it all started to blow up. A couple of very strong analogies from you so far. Rob, I'm enjoying this. It is good. But just um, a, a special mention for PSG, hmm. Bayern Munich and uh, Borussia Dortmund, who, um, despite all of the uh, the coercion, they would have received to to come into the Super League because without them, the Super League loses big territories of broadcast. Um, yeah. a big, uh, we should recognise the, the leadership of those clubs and just saying, hang on, and, and we're the, not comfortable. And the... Um, the, the, the nature of the ownership of Bundesliga clubs which prevented even Bayern and Dortmund from from really advancing the cause too much because there was a whole process obviously with that 51% um, uh, fan in, um, involvement uh, or at least in the voting rights mm. which is being discussed in, in England now. But not the case of, for Paris Saint-Germain. Correct, so yeah, yeah, no, so that, well, that's fair. Well but, but they're not, not great mates with um, some of the other uh, no. um, countries that were involved, um, read Manchester City. So, uh, But yeah, kudos and, and um, credit where it's due. Casting an eye forward to the Olympics, the Matildas have been drawn against the United States, New Zealand and Sweden uh, for Tokyo in what shapes as a tough yet familiar group. The draw wasn't any kinder to the Oliroos, who will play football powerhouses Spain and Argentina, and an Egyptian side that could well feature Mo Salah. Australia will be one of just three nations represented in both competitions, which I think is something we should be quite proud of, alongside, of course, Japan and Brazil. Michael, Graham Arnold's called it the group of dreams for the for the <laughs> boys. I think they might just struggle a little bit, but the Matildas should benefit from knowing what they'll be up against. And of course, Tony Kustafsson. the group of guillotine for the Matildas, I tell <laughs> well, you. Tony Gustafsson is Swedish and he's worked with the, the yeah. US women's team as well. So I don't think there'll be any uncertainty over what they're, what they're going to come up against. I've said it before, the performance of Graham Arnold and his senior Socceroos coaching team in getting the Oliroos into the Olympic Games and qualifying was one of the great performances of Australia in the Asian football Confederation in recent times. It really was a sensational performance. They ha- they were against it on in, in many fronts, and uh, and that that group deserved to go to the Olympics. So it is. You're right. An achievement that we have. 
both uh, the Ollie Roos and Matildas in And the good news is I was having a chat with uh, one of my brothers and another mate uh, today. uh, They were saying, you know, it's all well and good for them to be there, but, you know, are we going to be able to watch these games? Uh, I was at a Channel 7 event online last week where they presented uh, their showcase of Olympics uh, television programs and uh, there will be options to watch everything you want in full. So uh, hopefully uh, uh, that all plays out as the Seven are expecting and you'll be able to sit down and watch the games in full and uh, and not get interrupted by, you know, chopping and changing. That's how we can watch the other ones as well. Exactly. And we should be able to do that. That's that's my interpretation from it. So looking forward to the Olympics. All right, guys. Brilliant start, Willem. Great recap of the whole situation. Well, we're going to flesh it out a little bit more. It's really the fallout, isn't it? I mean, we seem to book Henry, as you were saying uh, earlier today, Edge. uh, We book Henry at the height of these stories and then by the time it happens, uh, uh, we're talking about the wash-up to him. So uh, uh, there is no better uh, journalist in the world to discuss this matter with right now. We'll talk to Henry Winter from The Times after the break on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial... Yes, this is Box to Box on 9 Radio, NTS News Talk Sport, broadcasting across Australia and whatever podcast catcher you're tuning in to us on. The story broke on Monday morning, our time. It was massive Super League. We thought it had this gut-wrenching inevitability about it. But bit by bit, uh, Gary Neville intervened with a, a passionate rant that people listened to and it went from there. And a man uh, who we've had on the show discussing similar issues in the past is uh, the Chief Football Writer of the Times, Henry Winter. How are you, Henry? I'm good, mate. How are you doing? Yes, we're all the better for speaking to you and equally well for knowing that this whole thing just blew up the way that it did. Uh, we felt uh, that it was going to happen at the different stages and then bit by bit it fell apart. Uh, but uh, as we reflect on it, uh, you refer in your article in this morning's paper uh, that the uh, that the operation greed, as you've described it, uh, uh, it doesn't go away forever. We all know that. Um, these people are, as you say, not benefactors. They're businessmen. Yeah, I think the uh, you know the fans and you mentioned Gary Neville and his passionate rant. He, rant, he was absolutely brilliant. Um, and the players, Jordan Henderson, Marcus Rashford, in a more sort of subtle way with the photograph that he posted, the managers as well. I, I think that you know they have won the battle, but they've not won the war because anyone who's come into the proximity of a Joel Glazer, John W. Henry, or Stan Kroenke knows that these aren't benefactors. They are here as investors. They're here to make money and they're from the United States. And as we know, they are, they're involved in sports franchises over there, which don't believe in promotion and relegation. Um, they, they don't like the idea of sporting jeopardy where, say like a Liverpool, I was at Ellen Road on, on Monday night and Leeds United were magnificent as they have been all season. The Liverpools don't want that. They want to know that they can go places and win and that they have this safety net built in because they don't want to lose out any more money. Obviously, wages are an issue. The pandemic's been very expensive. So, you know, that... Those grounds for concern have not gone away and nor has the greed of these owners. No, it hasn't at all. And the the very fact that they attempted to do this under the cover of COVID, uh, thinking in some ways that the fans not being in the stands would not be able to protest, uh, they knew that there would be protests. They just had no idea of the level it was going to come at from the Prime Minister to to, uh, Prince William and uh, every fan in between. But uh, the the, the types of people that we're dealing with here, you describe their, their contrition as appearing to be genuine. But 
we know for a fact that the motivation that led these people to make this decision as a collective, uh, that they were prepared to, to take the effective $4 billion from UEFA and put it in their own back pockets and everyone else could just uh, live off the scraps of charity, uh, it, it just doesn't suddenly go away with an apology. No, I mean, they would actually move away from UEFA and they would be taking the money off a, off an American merchant bank, JP Morgan. Mm. And you, you quite rightly say they didn't realise the sort of the scale of the rebellion. And I think probably only VAR has united the whole country on one issue as the, uh, as, as the Super Leaguers. And you just look at, the, you know, the, like, these are really intelligent people. You don't become billionaires like Joel Glazer. I'm not a fan of his, but clearly he's got, you know, a business talent inherited, obviously, from his, his father who set up their business. John W. Henry is an incredibly smart businessman. Stan Kroenke is. A, so we can think they're arrogant, which they are. We can think that they're greedy, which they are. But these are intelligent individuals. What I find extraordinary is that they didn't read the room. They didn't think, actually... This is not going to go down well. Actually, in the age of social media, and social media, as we know, there's a lot of poison out there, the racism towards people in life, particularly as we've seen it with, with footballers, is, is disgraceful. But social media has actually been such an important platform for, for, for Chelsea fans, like the other night at Stamford Bridge. The fact that um, people were down there posting videos, other fans were coming down. And, not, and what's been extraordinary about this, because you know how tribal English football is, the, it, it was fans of other teams were coming down mm. to support Chelsea fans against Abramovich, against all the owners. So it's, it's been a sort of slightly sad period, but in a strange way, the resistance movement, as you say, you know, from Dukes to Prime Ministers to Gary Nichols to, to, to fans to players to captains has been fantastic. But we know that they'll come again. They'll, they'll like Arnold Schwarzenegger, <laughs> they'll be back because they want the money. Henry, it's amazing how this thing just fell apart within a couple of days. Um, it was the main, one of the main reasons, apart from the pressure, is that all the clubs, the 12 that had signed up, weren't aligned in their reasons for joining. How much do you put down to that? And where, do you, where does it leave the likes of Real Madrid in this whole picture? Yeah, it's a really good point that, you know, the sort of different agendas. You could see the, sort of the American families, the American franchises, almost their approach to, uh, to, to their English clubs. They were all about money. Abramovich is not really about money. He's more about sort of reputation and his image in, in the West and, in, and in, um, in England. He's pretty low profile on the whole. You know, you don't see him going out and sort of talking. He, he, and he's, he's a genuine football fan. I mean, I've seen him at matches. I've seen him at, at, at Cobham, Chelsea's training ground, watching the, sort of, you know, the junior teams. He's a genuine football fan. So it, he, it seems strange that he would get involved in this. I can only think that he thought, well, if there's going to be a breakaway, we need to be part of that. Uh, up at Manchester City as well. So this is still in the blue corner, as it were, if we're looking at it in sort of boxing terms. It seemed very strange that um, Manchester City's owners, who I think have got about £250 billion in their rather large back pocket, they kind of been driven by money. Again, I think that for them it was didn't want to miss out if this new league was going to start and, they, and the drawbridge was going to be pulled up on it. They wanted to be on the inside of this rather gilded castle. So I agree with you. And then coming back to your point about Real Madrid, I mean, Real Madrid are broke. I mean, they've run out of training grounds to sell. Florentino Perez is actually coming over as, you know, again, another bright individual. But again, he's completely misread the room. He's, he, he sounds, with every statement that he comes out with, increasingly desperate and actually slightly mad. Um, so, look, their intentions are clearly 
financial. But the pro- but the problem with them is that they've overspent the money that they've been playing players. You know, they have invested in Galacticos. Whereas what you need, a good club, so like my local club here, Leicester City, they buy talent, they develop it, they also grow their own talent. And then they occasionally go out and sort of buy a bigger player, like a Fafana for 30 million. And he'll probably go to Arsenal or Manchester United or wherever for 70, 80 million in a year's time or whatever. You know, I think it's just because these, these owners, these chairmen have made mistakes in, in the financial world, like Daniel Levy's made one or two financial mistakes at Tottenham Hotspur. It doesn't mean they have to trash the whole of English football and the pyramid that we've prized for 130 odd years just because of their own mistakes. Where do you think it leaves the big six? I know that um, UEFA have kind of waved them back into the tent. and I'm sure a, a big part of that would have been back channeling saying, look, if we pull the pin, we don't want any, you know, any aggro uh, coming back in. But that, surely they can't uh, escape either the, certainly in the ridicule of fans when they're allowed back into stadiums, but also different sanctions, possibly a government as well. What do you know in terms of what could happen to them? I don't see what sanctions they can really give them. Um, in terms of people are talking about points deductions. Well, I mean, who are you punishing there? You're, you're, you're punishing the people who've actually formed the resistance movement, i.e. the supporters, i.e. the players and the managers who stood up. And, you know, players get a lot of criticism, although they've been fantastic over here in the, in the lockdown in terms of the work they've done, food banks and ringing up isolated fans and all that. You know, Marcus Rashford, we know about, you know, he's been basically sort of feeding the, the, the hungry kids of this country. But they actually stood up against their paymasters, which their employers, which is quite a quite a thing to do. And also, if you are a player at one of those big six clubs, you probably would have your agent certainly would have tried to get you to double your wages the moment they realised how much money was coming in from um, however much JP Morgan could raise. So I think that they've been I I I've been really impressed with the uh, with, with with the players. But in terms of so I don't see why they should be punished by I mean some people are talking about them being relegated out of the uh, out of the championship. Well I don't think Sky and BT who played billions would really appreciate um losing the um you know the, those sort of glamorous six. So I think it's a little bit like they were thinking about affair but they didn't actually uh, go go <laughs> ahead with it because they were stopped and we all know that they're going to come back and sort of do it again. But clearly, you you kind of want them on side. I mean, English football without Manchester United and Liverpool would be a pretty, you know, it's, it will still be great. They'll still be fantastic. You know, you get more clubs up from the championship and you're great. But still, you want every, you want the family to, to stay together. And it was quite ironic last night. You have to, Manchester City, who were one of the big six, were playing at Villa Park. And where, I mean, I was there last night and where the coaches, the Aston Villa coaches were parked, about 30 yards away is a very famous statue in English football to, to William McGregor, who was the founding father of the Football League 130 whatever years ago. And he's, he's almost like a sort of sentinel to protect what is important in the game, which is the league structure, which is the, going down to the grassroots. And again, it comes back to the naivety of these big clubs. Well, you know, where, where did John Stones start out he started out at Barnsley and then went to Everton and then on to Manchester City and then get sent off last night but 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 also he started out in grassroots clubs now all these smaller clubs you know the EFL clubs say like a Barnsley then the grassroots clubs around Barnsley where where John Stone started out 
they would have really struggled with the money that would have been siphoned purely into the top level of the uh, of the game by this. So it was a really important moment for all of English football that everyone stood up to fight for the pyramid. And it's not simply the pyramid, it's all the way down into grassroots, which have taken a hammering during the pandemic. And it's so important, I'm sure it's the, the case in Australia, you want the kids to be playing sport again, whatever sport, to be getting out there for social reasons, for physical reasons, for their for their mental health, for their emotional well-being. And that, that was the big issue, one of the many big issues with the Super League, is that it would have harmed these grassroots clubs, which are the launch pads for so many careers. What about the Premier League politics domestically? What does it mean for Richard Masters? I mean, the big six have had their issues with the remaining 14, but the success of the Premier League historically has been built on the solidarity of the shareholders, the clubs. And uh, we know that this has been shaken by, uh, by this approach and some very strong language from Everton to lead um, the club uh, responses. So where do you think it leaves Richard Masters and the, the atmosphere in that very important shareholder or stakeholder uh, meeting room? The attitude, so the, the mood will be toxic. It will be the 14 against the six, the, you know, the sheer arrogance of them. I mean, they've been almost trying to kill them as, as, as businesses and footballing organisations. So I was talking to one official last night who was absolutely raging at it and said, listen, this has been building. So many meetings have been going on with the, uh, the Premier League uh, bef- you know, meetings almost b- b- between the plotters before a Premier League meeting and then they would go in with all their demands and everything. I think what they're going to have to do, because the relationships between individuals and executives has become so tense and toxic, the, the big six, as we they're rather self-entitledly call themselves, they're going to have to change some of their officials. It's already happened at Manchester United with Ed Woodward going. I think it needs to happen at some of the other clubs so that a new relationship can be built. Because it's so important that English football stays together and we need the six on side. We just need them to sort of temper their arrogance and their greed and actually appreciate what they've got. Appreciate the fact that, you know, a, a West Brom can go and beat Manchester City 5-2. You know, that's the, the, the... I'm unfortunate to cover it. I'm fortunate to go to these games during the pandemic behind closed doors. We've got an amazing league here, probably the best, most competitive, top-to-toe, 20-club sporting league in the world. And they're just... They're wanting to walk away from that for El Plastico, as we call it. Uh, the PFA, I think, rather nicely called it... Um, a league just for commercial content with the Super League. So, you know, they're walking away from the sport. So let's let's build it up properly again. Let's build the relationships up. One sort of item this week that's been sort of lost uh, in, in the whole dialogue has been the reform to the UEFA Champions League and what role it played in um, driving the big or the dirty dozen, so to speak, to to, um, to, to do what they did. Uh, what's your view of the reform of the Champions League? What does it mean for English football? And um, and what role did it play in uh, in the unfolding volca- volcanic eruption? It all comes down to money. I mean, even UEFA, their um, you know their plans are all about sort of you know more games so they can get more television revenue in. I mean, it's partly to keep the bigger clubs on side. I don't like the idea of a sort of coefficients and almost sort of like selected invitations sort of coming in. I think that's almost along the lines of the, uh, the the Super League. But in a way, that genie is out of the bottle. It happened the moment the Champions League became about not simply the champions of the country, but runners-up and third place and fourth place. 
Um, so in a way, UEFA has been fairly fortunate this week because all the focus has been on the greed of the Americans rather than what UEFA have been, have been trying to do. But I think UEFA are trying to keep all the sort of domestic leagues together. I think there's too much football. I think everyone accepts that. FIFA are pulling these stunts all over the place, you know, World Club Championship to, to expand that. So, I, I mean, I think, I think sort of it, the, the calendar is, is full to, uh, to, to, to squeezing anyway. So, um, yeah, I think UEFA probably got away with it this week because the focus was on, um, was on Boston and, and Denver and Miami. Exactly. Henry, we could talk to you for ages, uh, but uh, we'll, um, we'll thank you for joining us and uh, until next time. Yeah, brilliant. Great talking to you guys. Stay safe over there. Yeah, you too, Henry. Henry Winter from the Times, Chief Football Writer, and uh, we're talking Super League. All right, stick around. We're going to talk A-League after the break. We're going to talk Curtis Good Socceroo. They're on top of the ladder, the Manchester City-owned Melbourne City, uh, after the break on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial Yes, this is Box to Box in a bumper week of football. We're talking Super League. We're talking the sacking of Grant Brebner. But what we also want to talk is some good news. And that good news is about a club we have discussed so many times since where they joined this competition as the Melbourne Heart. They made the grand final last year, uh, but they have been rising. And now with a game in hand, they're sitting on top of the ladder on the A-League. And a man who's been integral in the success at that club is Curtis Good. And we welcome him to the show. How are you, Curtis? Great, guys. Thanks for having me on. All the talk of football this week seems to be about what's going on off the pitch. But, uh, you know, uh, the, the the story of, of City this season in the in – the, well, it's still uh, that COVID environment, but it's certainly not the lockdown, no crowd situation that we were going through last season. Um, the the joy that uh, is, is clear on the faces of you and your teammates um, uh, getting the job done right now is uh, is palpable. So, so just tell us what, what the feeling is like in the club to, to – you know, got this momentum um, that you have. Pretty amazing at the moment, to be honest. Sort of that feeling that uh, we can beat anyone, and sort of um, when we go forward, always feeling dangerous, always feeling like you're going to score. And that's a credit to the boys, especially the boys up top who have been uh, playing this real fast sort of attacking brand of football. And um, yeah, it's fantastic to watch, even for me at the back. Mm-hmm. Like, um, yeah, it makes it. Uh, makes it really exciting to be a part of it. I want to talk to you about the derbies. The Melbourne, the Melbourne derby's always been a fixture in the A-League to look forward to it. It drags in a bigger audience. It drags in a lot of neutrals who want to, want that event experience. And this year you have more than twice. So, I mean, we know victories have, victory's got their problems. But um, just last week, as uh, the, goals, the goals towards the end of the game were piling on, did you just give yourself a chance to look around and see the joy in your fans' faces? And importantly, the despair in the in the victory fans' faces, and I mean, they, they was was all laid bare for for people to see, wasn't it? But did you just because the game was you know so so comfortable uh, on on the scoreboard? Did you just have a look around and take some of that emotion in? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I did uh, sort of before that sort of ten minute patch. Um, I think we were three 0 up or something, and it was quite comfortable. They were obviously down to ten men, and they weren't really threatening at all. So it was sort of at that point of time I was taking in a bit but even I was a bit shocked by the, the, the four goals in that period of time I mean it was sort of back to the halfway line and bang again so I was a bit blown away by it as well so I didn't really have a chance to, to look around the crowd but I know my uh, my friends and family in the in the crowd were just saying oh, it, was, it was amazing it was sort of um, even even though it's like from a neutral perspective um, 
seeing goal after goal and sort of the manner of the goals as well. I mean, it was um, some great attacking football. I know when Chivio came on as well down that wing, he was he was, he was cool. um, he was killing them. He just it was it yeah. was just like this guy's got to get a start soon because he was just absolutely on fire. I think he made uh, he made him of the week as well, and he's only on for he twenty did. five <laughs> minutes or something. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> this is box to box. We're talking to uh, central defender at the Melbourne City uh, top of the ladder outfit uh, who were just taking all before them, uh, Curtis Good. So, mate, um, look, just a little insight from the point of view of a player on the pitch. I mean, obviously, this led to a coach sacking, and we're not asking you to go down that path. But, but, what's the sense of the opposition when when you guys are just dominating the way that you are? It's a derby, as uh, we've already discussed. It's the second hiding you've handed out. You've got City fans holding up six nil signs in the in the in the terraces so do, do you sense this deflation in the opposition definitely yeah i mean um i've been part of a few derbies before uh, particularly this one and um obviously i guess it sort of wasn't celebrated as hard the victory in that just um because we knew like the result coming before the end of the end of the final whistle so it was sort of a bit of a weird one in terms of it wasn't that three two victory sort of um, working hard on the line for to hold on to the three points or anything. It was, um, yeah, it was a bit of a strange, strange feeling. Obviously, over the moon to win the derby, but um, yeah, sort of the uh, second time this season we experienced that that kind of derby, which I'd never experienced before in my life. Um, so yeah, it was a bit of a strange feeling to be honest. It was obviously you still celebrate it and still um, over the moon with the performance and that, but it was uh, it did feel a bit different to previous years. Curtis, I'm going to ask you a question that I'm probably going to get a straight bad answer, but I'm asking this question because I think Melbourne City fans are starting to talk about it in corners when they catch up for coffees and they and they, they they're thinking about the finals and they know that there's going to be a, a fair slab of players head off to Kuwait in the in the hub for the um, the Asian um, the Asian qualifiers for the 2022 FIFA World Cup, and one of those names that's been talked about in the corners is you and making a return to the Socceroos squad. So have you? Giving yourself an opportunity just to think what might be. Uh, do you, do you, have you thought about you're a bit of a chance? Um, there are pundits suggesting that uh, you're well and truly in the mix. I try not to think about it too much now. I know how fickle football can be, unfortunately. You can be high at one stage, then down at the other, like a couple of weeks later. So um, I, I haven't tried to think about it purely just because it's been years since I've been involved. But um, I do like to think I've put myself in a position where I'm on the radar. Um, and I know, especially in terms when we're talking about like Jamie McLaren and that, like it's going to, uh, the dates lining up, it's going to be a bit unfortunate. It looks like anyway. Um, so me personally, I don't really try and think of it, but I understand, um, I understand fans and, um, people thinking about it, especially when we're talking about Jamie and that. So it's a bit unfortunate. Um, but it is your country at the end of the day. So it's, uh, one of those things where if you could have the best of both worlds would be, I think I speak for most A-League players who who would go. If you could be involved in both, it would be amazing. Um, so, yeah, it's one of those things that if, if it happens... You'll cross, cross that bridge. Exactly, mate. And uh, and look, it's uh, it's a positive story if it does happen, uh, regardless. And, uh, and it seems that City have got a pretty uh, a deep bench right now. The way things are going there, Paddy Kiznorba will already be working contingency plans. So good luck, mate. We wish you well. You're fit. You're healthy. We have followed your career closely over the journey, and we know the battles that you've had. It's uh, just wonderful to see uh, you uh, back at the peak of your game and uh, and doing brilliant things at City. So thanks again for joining us on the show, mate. We'll catch up with you again uh, real soon as this season plays out. Thanks, guys. I appreciate 
Thanks. No worries, Curtis. Good Melbourne City doing amazing things in the A League. All right, we're going to keep talking A League after the break. Stick around on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. This is, is Box to Box on 9 Radio, NTS, News Talk Sport. It's been a busy first hour, but uh, we still have uh, a bit of A-League to cover off before we move on. Um, but before we do talk A-League, I want to talk Storage King. Um, is your home running out of space? You need to call Storage King. Whether you're decluttering, moving or renovating, downsizing, creating a home office, Storage King has the answer. We're moving into that post-COVID world, but people are getting used to the idea of still working from home. And if it's been a bit ad hoc and you've still got stuff around your place and you need to get rid of it and you need to make some space, Storage King will give you back some space. It's affordable. It's easy to do. There are locations everywhere. You just jump onto the website, storageking.com.au. You'll find your nearest store and you'll find the space calculator. They are the kings of storage moving and more. Our good friends at Storage King. Willem? A-League time and the number one headline this week is, of course, that the victory coaching merry-go-round continues. They have this week sacked Grant Brebner after four wins from his 21 matches. Let's not forget that he did qualify them unexpectedly for the uh, knockout stages of the Asian Champions League in December, but that does seem like ancient history now. And Steve Keane, who's... He hasn't been around long and he hasn't done much and he's already wildly unpopular with the uh, victory supporter base. He's going to replace him until they bring Tony Popovich in. Now, we'll speak about Pop in a sec, but for now... I just want to touch on the treatment of Brebner now that that chapter is closed. And I think it was just symbolic. Their treatment of him was symbolic of the board's treatment of the club as a whole. And, you know, they've really just gone about the last couple of months with very little regard for for Brebner. And as, you know, as a result, very little regard for the club's history and a time when he was a legend of the club, if that makes sense. And I thought the fact that they forced him to sit there and thank them for the opportunity to coach, an opportunity that he didn't really want, was uh, was particularly appalling. And I genuinely hope that he can go away and, you know, sort of recover and upskill and come back as a, a stronger and better manager and have some success probably elsewhere because I wouldn't be walking back into victory if I was Brebner, the way they've uh, the way they've they've treated him. I thought he handled it with dignity though. I think From he's day one the whole yeah. exactly right. The whole way through he's been a bit of a, a yes man. He's mm. done everything that's asked of him mm, mm. and I think his reputation's intact, but I think he's been treated terribly. Interestingly, if I had been advising Grant Brebner, I would have said don't take the job for one very real reason. You're not experienced enough. And then had he ignored that advice, then I would have said, well, make sure you get the most experienced uh, group of people around you and not someone from overseas, someone who's experienced in the local game. Now, I know that Brebner reached out to Ernie Merrick and there was some serious discussions about Merrick supporting Brebner. That would have been a much more uh, relevant selection because I think with Keane has come potentially the very questionable recruiting and uh, and someone like Merrick would have uh, had a much better radar for these international players that have come in and really not delivered for the club mm-hmm. in particular. So that is an interesting sort of byproduct to it. Um, so it's not all the club's fault. Um, Brebner, the people around Brebner who are looking after his own career, they have a lot to answer to as well. But also the club has, I think the board has shirked the responsibility for taking accountability for the structures and the decisions that are made. And my mail is that Brebner's not the last one to go. There'll be there'll be some more changes off, off the back of Popovich's appointment, uh, particularly in the backroom staff at uh, Melbourne Victory. And, but it, and it, who it, knows the, whether the CEO will survive. That's something that... Uh, 
we'll ask uh, Michael Lynch in a bit of detail about. I've got a question about that. Yeah, we sure will. And Popper, for all of his success, um, he you know does have a reputation for cutting and running when a better offer comes up or what he thinks is a better offer, which have turned out not to be the case. His judgment in that respect mm-hmm. is not exactly uh, um, you know covered in glory. So but what Popper does have is great experience. He'll set up a mm-hmm. very good mm-hmm. strength and conditioning program yeah, and he'll set up a very good medical services program mm-hmm. as well. And, Discipline. And, and they've been two of the, mm-hmm. the cornerstone foundations that everybody in the A-League has been critical of Victory almost lucky that he's available, mm-hmm. really, because other than him, I don't think there's anyone who's a standout that uh, that just you could pull off the bench. Um. There was a very interesting line out of the press release that was sent out to members uh, and fans on yeah, Popper's appointment too, yeah. on, on Thursday, and I'll read it out now. As is always the way at Melbourne Victory, Tony as head coach will be responsible for the entire A-League program, overseeing support staff, recruitment, list management, and our A-League playing style and performance. Now, that's great that that's been put on the record from the get-go under Popovich's reign, but that's the clarity that, that Victory fans have been craving for years, and I think... You know, it's good that it's been put on the record, but I find that a little bit disrespectful, as is always the way at Melbourne Victory. People have been asking for a long time who is in charge of all these individual areas of the oh, club. No the club. The club has gone weeks without uh, speaking publicly when it uh, when when the situation demanded some leadership. So, you know, it's just more of the same. Um, it will be interesting to see um, how uh, the administration changes between now and the beginning of next season, and whether. The club's culture can evolve uh, back back towards what it was like when they had success, which was, you know, a really good, solid uh, communications from all the key people in the club. We're missing that at the moment, Rob. We are. Well, let's wait and see if uh, Popper can be the sugar hit they need. But Willem, what about Tommy Urich? Uh, I'm, I'm interested to see uh, what you've got to say about Tommy. Yeah, well, he was a, a big name recruit in the off-season, Michael. Carl Viet said he was the best finisher he'd ever seen, which was a comment that drew a few eyebrows. But he's been a bit of a forgotten man. He had a knee injury. I think he had a groin injury there. And it was the talk of the town in, in South Australia, by all reports. But for the rest of the competition, he was just not playing and, and not sure when he was going to be back. Since he has come back, though, he's been back with a bang. He scored three in three. Now he can be sort of criticised a bit at, at international level but in the A-League there's no doubt he's a magnificent player and he might just be timing his run perfectly because maybe he won't have the form behind him for Graham Arnold or the fitness behind him for Graham Arnold to pull him away to uh, to the Middle East for the World Cup qualifiers that might just work in Adelaide's favour they're likely to make the finals he, in my opinion, is probably likely to be there and coming into a bit of a form, bit of form he could be a massive factor come the finals Tommy Urich Tommy Rich is a good player. He's, I think he was at the wrong club in Europe um, uh, when he was. Uh, you know, his last two years, I think he's been a bit like the, like you said, the forgotten man. I think he's got a lot of potential. And and one other name uh, in the Socceroos landscape that we need to focus on, who's just. Uh, back on the field for the first time is is Chris Economides at Perth mm-hmm. Glory too. So don't forget that when he's up and going, he's probably in the top two or three. So um, Arnold's going to have some options uh, in the front third, which he hasn't had for a while. And, um, you know, uh, who could forget our discussion with Curtis Good where he went to great lengths uh, um, advocating for Jamie McLaren, who's 19 goals in 16 games, 29 goals in the mm-hmm. last campaign. Who can go past him? Well, he's a complete lock and there's rumours floating around that Melbourne City might be looking to get Scott McDonald, who's not playing at Brisbane, for a short-term contract for the finals because, uh, yeah, it's a fait accompli that, that, that J-Mac will be in the Middle East. But, yeah, Tommy Urich, I reckon he might just be uh, unrequired by Australia and might have a big role to play come finals. The next point I wanted to touch on, Rob, is the continuing narrative of the Wanderers. At the moment, they're hanging on to sixth by a thread. They're on 25 points, but they've played 18 games. The Raw and Western United are on 23 points, having played 
15. This, of course, before Western United's game on Thursday night against Wellington. And Carl Robinson's tone in the press has changed. Um, for so much of the year, it's been about winning now. For the first time now, we're, we're hearing from him that mm, maybe it won't be this year, maybe this is a bit of a building year, and next week will really challenge um, a massive, massive game for them on Friday night against the victory. Yeah, well, it is. Um in uh, the history of all sport, we know that the you know the dead cat bounce often happens when the coach gets the bullet. Um, so we'll find out whether it does happen this week. But I just can't see it happening. I think Western Sydney yeah. Wanderers has got a better list than victory. And they just suffered yeah. last week at the hands of Melbourne City. But Carl Robinson. Um, do you reckon there's a few baseball bats for him if he mm. fails at Western Sydney based on mm. his uh, you know ruthless approach to? You know, cutting and running from Newcastle and uh, and going to the, the the big super club Western Sydney, and yeah. you know, success was just going to follow him. He ripped Bernie Abini out of yep. Newcastle. Jimmy Gordon, f- James Troisi, I'm going to do what I like, and we're going to win. Yeah, and do you think there's a few baseball bats for him when he fails? There always is, isn't there? Mm. You know, whenever somebody leaves, there's always the old club wanting to, to climb on. And they uh, have yeah, not won a game in their last five, albeit they've had three draws, mm, but mm. they've not won a game in five. Um, the pressure's on, and imagine if they just happen to drop points to Melbourne Victory or get beaten. Could you, could you imagine what might happen yep. out in Sydney's West, Rob? Well, I can imagine exactly what will happen. They'll be a bit grumpy. Well, Melbourne Victory fans have been grumpy and, you know, they mm. uh, they uh, mm. took to uh, pretty stringent voices last weekend. Maybe yeah, yeah. Western Sydney Wanderers fans might start to to raise their voice a bit. So it's an interesting little contest right. on Friday night. Watch this space. And the final item on the agenda, when one team like the Wanderers is winning, Michael, that probably means somewhere another team is winning. And the Roar have picked up unexpected away wins to MacArthur and Western Sydney. They have been unbeaten in their last four and they've got a favourable run coming up. They've got the Glory at home, the Mariners away, that's tough. Then they've got Wellington and what will be a six-pointer against Western United at home. And we spoke about who might be missing to international, Ollie Roos, uh, Judy or World Cup qualifiers. Look, they might lose Joey Champness, they might lose Dylan Wenzel-Halls, but there's a good chance that those two guys could well hang around. So I think if they can make the finals, they might just compete. All right, well done. Nice wrap on the LA Gwillem. Okay, busy first hour it was. We're going to have just as busy a second hour. We're going to have Michael Lynch. We're going to talk more Europe, and we're going to wrap it up with a little more conversation on the Super League in stoppage time. So stick around with us on box to box Now, this is box to box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh! For Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and absolutely fantastic. Welcome back to Box to Box Second Edition News with Willem Van Dender and shortly Michael Lynch from the Age. We're going to talk Melbourne Victory. Can't but wait for that, Rob. It's going <laughs> Lynchy off the long run. <laughs> We've left him plenty of time. That's why it was a. It you was better a, have your, your concise question because we know he likes an answer. <laughs> there is no such thing. <laughs> More on Europe with Dino and Dell and stoppage time. We'll just bookend the whole show with uh, some Super League uh, uh, chat and where we think it might go to here. But Willem, uh, climb into it, my friend. Socceroos and Matilda Central for the Green and Gold Army to kick us off, Rob. Make sure you're among the first to know about upcoming Socceroos and Matildas tours by signing up to the Green and Gold Army's mailing list. You know where to do it, Michael. ggatravel.com.au We'll start in Europe. Ellie Carpenter's Champions League dreams will have to wait for another year after Leon's five-year stranglehold on the tournament was broken. Carpenter played the full 90 in the rescheduled second leg, which PSG won 2-1. That leaves just Sam Kerr and Chelsea in the semi-finals from an Aussie perspective. They face Bayern Munich at 1am on Monday morning for those on the east coast of Australia. For our Matildas in England, it was 
FA Cup week where Emily Van Egmont filled her boots with four first half goals for West Ham against lowly Chichester and Selsey. Oddly enough though, Michael, that wasn't the most notable thing no. to involve an Aussie in this match. I nearly, I nearly <laughs> fell off of the chair when I saw the picture of Mackenzie Arnold She was told as to an leave outfielder. the gloves on the bench and get into central midfield and put in a 20 minute shift and they ended up winning 11-0. So yeah, she might so, get another run. So there's a, in, the, in the fabled the fabled folklore of FA Cup men's and women's competition in England, there's a thing called for goalkeepers a cup run. So when it is uh, known that you're going to win a, a game, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, nil like West Ham was sure to do, um, let's just throw the keeper out there and see if they can breathe a little bit harder and get a bit of oxygen flowing around the system. I reckon Mackenzie would have been looking for the uh, ice bath after that. No doubt about that. Staying with the uh, Women's FA Cup, there were also wins for Alana Kennedy at Tottenham, Hayley Rasso at Everton and Lydia Williams at Arsenal. And finally, Emily Gilnick backed up her goals for the Matildas with another for Vizio in a 2-1 win. To the gents, Matt Ryan earned his second league start for Arsenal and was involved in their late equaliser, flicking on from a corner that eventually ended up in the net. Notably, Ryan was selected ahead of Burns Leno, who was available, with Mikel Arteta stating he was picked because, and I quote, he totally deserves to play, he trains like a beast, he's got the right attitude, and he needed a game. So that's what we like to hear from Mikel. That was so exciting to hear... Uh to hear those comments about our Socceroos goalkeeper because we know how hard he works. We know how good he is. He's right up. He's world-class. He's undersized compared to the big uh, the big boys in Europe, but he's a good goalkeeper, a very good goalkeeper. And if he nails that number one spot, how good is that? And if only there had been a big crowd to see him at the last minute of the game, drift up, Rob, mm-hmm. not on the you know a goalkeeper, not on the corner, mm-hmm. uh, and get a get a, a equaliser for your team. They would have. I mean, if it had been a full stadium, that doesn't happen every no, day of the week. No, it would have been yeah. uh, it would have been sensational. And he's famous for his length of the pitch runs to celebrate with his he teammates is, when they score is. a goal. But this time, oh, he was already there. He sort of looked around. He's like, I'm already here. I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure all football lovers in Australia, lovers of the Socceroos, are, are just proud of Eddie Ryan because mm. you cannot you can't you can't not be proud of him. Yeah. Well, his story has been such a good one from the A League and then to Belgium and um, and obviously uh, we love him. You know, he's uh, he's travels in between Brighton. And, he, and he, as we know, it, it was one of the big. Uh, um, Parts of the of the Brighton story uh, when he had to leave was that the the fans um, loved yeah, him so yeah. much. He, so he, he's got a good connection with uh, with the culture of the sport and, mm. and and fans and communities around clubs. And but he's playing for his boyhood team, Arsenal. How good's yeah. that? And he's nailing in the number one spot. And the coaches recognised uh, his talent. So well done. Yeah, and it's not won't be long before he can play in front of those fans and build that connection with them. I'm sure he'll do so. Uh, to a bit of Ollie Roos news, Riley McGree was handed another start for Birmingham in a 1-0 win over Rotherham before being called off the bench for the last 30 in their draw with Forrest. So that's clearly something the new manager likes in Riley there. Not such great news for Harry Sutar, who was sent off for a last-man foul against Preston North End. He therefore missed their 3-2 loss to Coventry City. And news, uh, sorry, Ollie Roos striker John Iredale has joined German second-tier side Paderborn after being released by Wolf. Wolfsburg during the week, one who Graham Arnold's had his eye on for a long time. And in Japan, Thomas Deng is back in full training with Urua after a long spell on the sidelines. Streaming service Sports Flick have pulled out of the running for the UEFA Champions League rights, citing uncertainty around the current and future landscape of the tournament. Sports Flick emerged as a potential major player in Australia's broadcast rights landscape last month and looked to have the inside running for the $60 million rights. Despite their withdrawal, they've stated they had received a bank guarantee but couldn't in good faith commit those funds to the tenuous competition. Now, the timeline of this story, Rob and Michael, is that 
they pulled out and this broke before the collapse of the Super League. So if they're telling the truth about having the bank guarantee, you just wonder, and you wouldn't think it would happen, but you just wonder if they maybe got a little bit spooked by the Super League. I'm not sure that's the case, but it was just something that floated through my head. Rob, do you reckon they're interested again now that it's all been sorted? Now, Vince Regari is a serious journalist. He doesn't yep. put stuff in newspapers unless it's a legitimate story. So, so look, they are connected in some ways and there might have been some sugar daddy in Australia who was prepared to put the money in. It does seem like a pretty convenient way to withdraw, especially when the reporting around the week's or the days prior was that things were getting a bit wobbly. But I was interested reading on The Athletic uh, um, that they got mentioned as one of the the, the fallout elements of of, um, Super League, that uh, even in Australia, you know, an up-and-coming streaming service pulled out because of the Super League. So, And they they took it very seriously, the way that was published in that athletic story. So, look, uh, I I thought they were decent people. Um, It was a long-shot story, but, um, yeah, I, I don't think we'll be hearing from them again. They still hold a whole bunch of rights for, for smaller sports or lesser known sports I, I, in Australia. I'm the to the them. Women's Champions League, they yeah. still hold that. So I think they'll still be around. Yeah, I'm actually going to subscribe to them because I want to see Nicaraguan football. I thought you wanted to watch the bare-knuckling, bare-knuckle fighting. He's into the Serbian rugby league. <laughs> rugby league. Maybe Peter Flanders <laughs> wants to sign it up. Yeah. Hey, look, I hope they do come back, you know, more, more competition. It's all good. To the UK, Manchester United Executive Vice Chairman Ed Woodward has announced his 16-year stint at the club will end at the end of this year. The announcement came before United pulled out of the European Super League, while he's also stepped down from his role on UEFA's Professional Football Strategy Council. Woodward joined the club in 2005 and became Chief Executive in 2013. He's often been maligned for the club's profligate transfer policy and manager turnover. And he has, of course, Robin Michael been the How front convenient. man for the Glazers. How who- convenient um, that he was going to resign uh, I think um, there's, a, there's a great scene in The Family Guy where Brian pushes Stewie under a bus and that is exactly what the Glazers have done mm. to Ed Woodward and uh, I, I don't think will not be persuaded otherwise. I don't think he'll be particularly missed. But do feel, I have over the journey felt a little bit sorry for him that the Glazers sit there similar to Silent Stan have and this watched, is the front man who has to cop it. Have you watched uh, the Foxtel series Succession? I've not. Well, there's some great uh, analogies in that because uh, mm. the old fellow who is akin to... Rupert Murdoch just keeps throwing family members under the bus. Every time there's a crisis, uh, you tap someone on the shoulder and say, I'll look after you, but uh, you've got to take the public fall, brother. <laughs> so um, it's um, it's a bit like that, no doubt about it. Look, um, the, the American owners in particular, they have not covered themselves in glory. Uh, the gulf between the culture and the fans of the sport in England, and now probably the government and the politics around the sport and the American owners is bigger than ever. And... Um, yeah, my club, Arsenal, owned by mm. the Cronkies, they didn't cover themselves in glory. At least mm. uh, they were early to apologise to their fans. I give them a small tick for that, but mm. um, I just can't believe that they didn't uh, read the read the. Word. And it took a while, as you know, in our communications. I, I, I was. Um, yeah, Liverpool know. didn't cover themselves in glory, did they? No, no. I, as a fan, I was pretty pissed off that they didn't, and it took JW Henry a while to come mm. out and uh, and and make that statement. And I thought um, Pep Guardiola's um, comment, comments about uh, his negative comments about mm. it, you know, the, the integrity of the competition of the Champions League mm. being mm. broken mm. before Manchester City had pulled out was brave mm. and uh, mm. and good to see he's a fairly authentic character, obviously. Yeah, so. yeah, he is. A lot of them have come out. I'll tell you, I, I'm glad that JP Morgan is the investment bank who had planned to underwrite this 23-year 
deal have got their fair share of opprobrium as well because uh, if you look at uh, some of the utterances from their CEO about how uh, ethical uh, all of their decision making is only for them to uh, hijack or be at least a prime mover in attempting to hijack uh, world uh, the football. world game yeah, yeah. And Jurgen Klopp deserves similar plaudits to Pep Guardiola. He mm-hmm. said, you know, and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as well. Yeah. And Klopp said, people have asked me to leave, and I'm not going to leave. I'm going to try and sort it out. Not yeah. sure how he would have actually gone yeah. trying to sort yeah. it out, but he at least, you know, didn't just cower from it. He, he like, like Guardiola. The, the, put the managers his, his were put in on. tough positions. Where yeah. they and, and look, and I know Henry the, covered a lot of this yeah. in our earlier conversation, but some of the players as well stood up. Some of them didn't, you know, as uh, as we know. But uh, yeah, it's. Um, Interesting to see how people, uh, their React courage. Exactly. Are yeah. they prepared to, to put everything on the line to, to be true to themselves? From experienced bold managers to a very young manager, Ryan Mason has been appointed Tottenham's interim boss for the rest of the season following the club's sacking of Jose Mourinho after 17 months in charge. It represents a pretty special achievement for uh, Mason, a former academy product at Spurs, of course, who was forced into early retirement in 2018 when he fractured his skull. He'll lead Spurs into the League Cup final on Sunday, the club denying Jose the chance to win their first piece of silverware since 2008. So just 29 years old and Jose already back on the uh, on the horse. Celtic could, could well be his next place. So far. <laughs> Maybe, but if you're wondering why Tottenham did depart ways with uh, the special one uh, in the Premier League, uh, they've only secured 25 points from their last 19 matches. They had an FA Cup loss to Everton. Europa um, League lost to... Dinamo's a greb. Willem, is Mourinho past it or was the Tottenham squad just crap? No, I think he's past it. I think when you consider where he was 10 to 15 years ago and what he's been able to achieve at his past couple of jobs, the fact, I mean, we know he has his sort of three-year hit um, and he's left his past couple of jobs in sort of ignominious ways during the third season. He's not even getting that successful second season with Manchester United or Tottenham. I think he's he's sliding down the pecking order, unfortunately, for Jose. Well, I'm sure Dino and Derek will have a little bit more to add to that story because uh, I know Derek in particular sent out a, a very uh, funny um, meme on our WhatsApp chat when he heard that he Jose did. had been given the Tijuana. All right, well done, Willem. Great work. Uh, Michael Lynch, the age after the break. This would have been the lead story, I reckon, if uh, it hadn't have been for so many other huge stories. Um, and if you're wondering if, uh, if just you know, regular listeners to our fantastic box to box program and podcast, if you're wondering why we've squirrelled Lynchy into the uh, the back hour, it's just to give him a little bit more elbow room, isn't it, Rob? Yeah, absolutely, just to give him a little bit more runway. Yeah, that's exactly the word I was going to use. And and look, we just wish you could have the unplugged version because the conversations <laughs> with Lynchy off air are funnier and even more interesting. Um, recording yeah, Damo, maybe you should record them. Boys, um, <laughs> uh, Lynchy, after the break, stick around on box to box. Box to box. For Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most. This is box to box. Uh, it's been football, football, football in every area of the media all week. Uh, we're going to talk, though, some domestic football, and this would have been the lead story if it hadn't been for other issues we've been discussing in the show so far. Uh, our very good friend from The Age, he always makes himself available to us. Uh, Michael Lynch, how are you, mate? Yeah, not so bad, Ashley. Hope you're well yourselves and all the listeners. Yeah, we sure are. So no doubt uh, you're relieved. We all read your article about um, your you know, potential for uh, pulling your support of Spurs uh, from uh, from the club if uh, the Super League had it got up, but the uh, the victory, mate, this would have um, uh, been no surprise to most people um, halfway through that game, let alone at the end. But um, the way it happened, we, we we all tend to agree that Grant Bradner uh, did handle the situation with dignity. But um, but uh, can it get any worse for victory? Oh, 
probably like to think not, but who knows? I mean, they're scraping barrels hitherto unscraped, aren't they? Plumbing depths hitherto unplumbed in their mediocrity and their, well, it's not actually mediocre, it's awfulness really, isn't it? They'd, they'd be lucky if they could be called mediocre. I think they'd, uh, they'd grasp that with both hands at the way things are at the moment. Uh, yeah, look, I mean, it was like shooting fish in a barrel at the end of the game, wasn't it? Was it three goals in the last seven minutes or something? Jamie McLaren just helping himself every time he went forward. Um, yeah, it was yeah, well, embarrassing more than anything. And I do feel very sorry for Brett, who's a bloke I've known since he first came to this country uh, in about 06, uh, I think that 06-07 season was his first um, and uh, he was part of those two championship winning teams at Victory uh, and it's very sad to see his coaching career sort of go up in flames almost before it started you know but uh, look you never say never it's going to be hard for him to get a, a job again at the highest level but if he's serious about being in the game I suppose he's going to have to go back regroup get all his badges and and rebuild and hope hope that he gets another chance. But you know what? Uh, the last chance saloon, the door doesn't open very often, does it, in this country with very, very few clubs and, um, and there's quite a long queue already. So we just have to wait and see what happens. There was a lot of pressure on uh, the chairman, Di Pietro. There was, uh, there's a lot of pressure on the CEO, Jacobs, and the football uh football operations manager, uh, Drew Sherman. So they've been uh, in the sights of Melbourne Victory fans uh, over the last sort of month and and the the atmosphere on on social media and within chat groups associated with Melbourne Victory has been increasing by the day. Um, The question I have for you is imagine what it would have been like had if the A-League had have had a relegation. If Melbourne Victory were looking at... uh, Playing in the NPL next year, could you imagine the uh, the the outpouring of emotion in the fans? Yeah, it'd be fantastic, wouldn't it? It'd be brilliant. You know, I mean, that's what we want. That's what everyone wants: a pyramid structure, promotion and relegation, absolute jeopardy, and uh, punishment for failure. And failure on such an epic scale really and truly does deserve to be punished on an epic scale and relegation would have been uh, just reward for the uh, appalling season they've had. I mean, although, you know, there's still 10 games to go. Uh, if we actually did have relegation, what we got, uh, a 12-team league, uh, um, you know, you'd probably say one up, one down, maybe two down. If it was two down, there's, they're only two points beyond the second bottom seat. You know, if it was only if it was like one down and then a playoff between the runner-up in the um, second tier and the second bottom, you know, they might not even go down. But uh, the way things are, it, it would be. I think it'd be fantastic. And it, I'd say the same thing if it was Sydney or West Sydney or Melbourne City for all their riches. If they were struggling, they deserve to uh, to reap the reward of their incompetence, uh, and that is relegation. In your opinion, should um, the board, the CEO, and the football direct uh, football uh, operations manager should they uh, take accountability for the results on the field uh, more than they have? In your opinion, Lynchy, because the fans seem to think they should. 
Uh, well, I think it's a collective. Clearly, I mean, the board decided to appoint a very inexperienced coach who had said, I remember doing the press conference in June where he said, I don't want the job. They kind of appointed him as the interim to get through the hub. Do you remember the, the rump of the season in the hub in Sydney? And they said he, you know, he, he would he would be part of the coaching panel going forward. But he said, I don't want the top job. So the board have to take, and, and the football operations manager and all those involved in that decision uh, have to take a measure of culpability for the appointment of Grant Brebner. Um, the club itself, I don't, you know, in, in terms of its financials, um, they're working on a reduced salary cap this year. Um, I guess, you know, whoever did the scouting, I mean, people are pointing the finger at Drew Sherman. Um, so if that's, if he's the, the main bloke doing the scouting, yeah, he's got a cop it. Uh, in the end, I think Grant Brebner would have had to have ticked off at all of the signings, so Brebs himself has got to bear some of the load, and you know, he's the guy who picks the 11 and um, works the tactics out, so clearly he has to uh, take the lion's share of the load, but no one is innocent in this debacle, are they? You know, so, uh, success has a thousand fathers and failure is an orphan, they say. But I think this orphan's got a lot of people involved in the patrimony case, I can tell you. So, Lynch, you've covered this competition from day one. Um, you've uh, reported on every Melbourne coach um, closely from Ernie Merritt to Ange Postacoglu to Grant Brebner and everyone in between. Um, there's been a lot lost in, in recent years at the victory. Uh, a lot of the, the culture, a lot of the joy of the terraces that um, that really built that brand up as uh, a, um, a great sporting um, in, environment to be in. And, and it's just not there anymore. Okay, COVID's existed, but this all was happening before COVID even reared its ugly head. Uh, do you think that um, that Popovich is, I used the term earlier in the show, the sugar hit that the club needs to get back on track? Um, or are there too many other dynamics around uh, this Melbourne victory that uh, that just one coach can um, you know sort it out with a few victories, a few wins. I've never I've never thought of the tall, dark, brooding presence of Tony Popovich <laughs> as a sugar hit. Actually, <laughs> um, you know, it's more a kind of malevolent uh, on the sideline. You'll do as you're told and get the result, mate. Uh, but look, you, you can't blame everyone at the club for the diminution of match atmosphere because largely that was imposed by the FFA, wasn't it, at the time? David Gallup and all the people that were running football with the enthusiastic approval of the Victorian police who can't wait to stop anyone at the fun police, can't wait to stop anyone um, doing anything at the football that definitely needs to come back. The club needs to get on the front foot there and uh, negotiate with the authorities on behalf of their fans to be able to recreate those stimulating atmospheres that probably we haven't seen since about, what, 13, 14, 15, that sort mm-hmm. of period, you know? Um, and and they, they need to win the trust and faith their supporters back. They've disappeared in alarming numbers. I mean, I dare say there will be more than three men and a dog at Marvel Stadium tomorrow night. But given the cavernous size of that place, it's probably going to feel as if that's what that's what's there, family and close friends only. If they don't get more than 10,000, that's how it's going to feel, isn't it? 
Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, no, it's a, it's a fair assessment of the situation, but winning uh, does solve a lot of problems and uh, hopefully um, oh, that yeah. might be the first step. I suppose it's sustain the world over, I mean, or it's a gener- may certainly a generational thing. I mean, my, my generation tended to just, you supported your team and if they were going like rubbish, well, you were earning the right to enjoy the success <laughs> at a later date, if it ever mm. came. But, yeah, um, haven't we seen that this week, mate? Earn the right. Maybe yeah. they need to make their own T-shirts. Brilliant. The leads uh, in the dressing room. I, I think, I mean, I, I don't know it is. It shows you the bubble that some of these big clubs live in, That You know, Jurgen Klopp getting all upset about it. I mean, God almighty, he must have known, mustn't he? You know, or is he that divorced from the reality of what the fans would have thought? I thought it was hilarious what Leeds did, actually, with the T-shirts and then the, the bloke playing the saxophone. You know, money, 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 as the team, Liverpool team got off. And, and, and the players, you know, getting upset because they were being chanted at scum. I mean, I know the players didn't make that decision, but, you know, they can't live in a bubble, surely, that much, that they wouldn't know that people would be getting really uptight about what happened there. And it, it, it's interesting. I mean, it, it's great that all that's over now. But I actually did put something up on Twitter saying, what role do players have in situations like this? I mean, you know, I'm a journalist. I've been on strike many times in a 40-plus year career, you know, 40-year-plus career. I've stood on picket lines many, many times, uh, sometimes in pursuit of industrial aims like wage claims, but sometimes actually in pursuit, in, in protest against uh, media employers' policies. And, uh, you know, if, it's, if, if other work, workers can do it, you, you wonder why wouldn't footballers ever think about doing it? If they really opposed the Super League, they could have killed it within six, six hours. If every player had just come out and said, we ain't doing it. Mm. Yeah, look, a lot of them did come out on social media. Some didn't. But, they, uh, they started to. They started yeah. to, which is fair enough, yeah. you know. And, and I, but I, I, I think the PFA should have probably been leading that charge. It shouldn't have been down to Jordan Henderson Mm, mm, uh, speaking on behalf of Liverpool or Kevin De Bruyne writing tweets about a schoolboy from Belgium with a dream. Mm, It it should have have perhaps been uh, the PFA who who, who took leadership in in that... uh, in that sense. Well, the good news is, Lynchy, it's over. And, um, and no, well, it's over for now, until, until, until it's not over. <laughs> hey, Lynchy, thanks again, mate. Um, yeah. we, uh, we love having a yard here, and uh, we'll watch this victory story roll out um, and see how Popper goes and uh, whether he can recreate the magic uh, back at uh, Amy Park. He'll change it, that's for sure. Let's hope it's magic. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, the real, I mean, it's funny here. We, we're in this city. We've just been however long talking about a team that's bottom of the league uh, who are playing rubbish, yet the other side are top of the league and look like one of the best teams the A-League's ever seen. We haven't mentioned mm. them, have we? No, no, but we did talk to Curtis Good in the first hour, so we have covered the city <laughs> no, very well. well. <laughs> Thank you, you Lynchy. <laughs> Thanks, mate. We'll talk to you next time, Lynchy. Cheers, bye. All right, okay, stick around on Box to Box. Europe, more talk on Europe next. Box to Box. For Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of the 
This is Box to Box on Nine Radio NTS News Talk Sport. We've had a lot of fun in the studio this evening, uh, back at Brand Music on our Box to Box Wanderers tour. Uh, as we uh, continue to do the show in any weather and any situation, uh, and what a big week it's been. Uh, we're going to talk more Europe in a moment, but before we do, it is getting cold, uh, so you don't want to let those plans of yours get ruined by the flu this year. We're all getting uh, lined up for the COVID injection, but the one injection you can get right now, and you do need it, is that flu injection. Get in early, help protect yourself with the flu vaccination at Chemist Warehouse. The quadrivalent vaccine may help protect against four strains of influenza. However, it can take several weeks to take full effect, so be a flu fighter. Help protect yourself by heading into Chemist Warehouse. Their immunisation service is quick and convenient. It costs just $14.99. Book your appointment online at chemistwarehouse.com.au you forward slash flu. Chemist Warehouse, gentlemen, the lowest prices are every single day. I've had my jab, Michael. Have you had yours yet? I have, yes, I have. I had my jab uh, about a week ago. Well done, Dina. No, not yet. Not allowed us. We're not in the line. No, no, Dina. I'm what, on the flu jab. Yes. Oh, yeah, got that. Got okay, that. Take so Books on that on Monday. Okay. <laughs> Pay attention in the back of the class. Yes. Derek, what about you? Not yet, Rob, but I do like the sound of the flu fighters, so I'm a big, big fan of their work. I was wondering if he would pick that up. All right, well, uh, well, let's get going. I mean, it's been... Um We've ranged over a lot of territory earlier in the show with Henry, of course, uh, uh, but there has been football played um, under the sort of spectre of, uh, of Super League and, and post uh, its implosion. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a dramatic week, Dino, and uh, that was only the latest episode of Line of Duty. And, uh, <laughs> um, you know, let's do you fancy talking about some football on the pitch, Dean? Yeah, it'd be lovely. Cup final this weekend, and uh, two of the uh, the big six are playing, playing in that, uh, City and Tottenham. And the biggest line going into this is uh, the fact that Tottenham won't be uh, managed by Jose Mourinho. Um, there was a bit of a laugh there. I'm sorry. Sorry, Jose. But <laughs> Ryan Mason, who is younger than some of the players that he is going to put out, is now in charge. He's won his first game. What a job he's got, Dino. When you think about Mourinho, he's, uh, you know, the amount of trophies he's won and he was going to a final and and allegedly what, what we've heard, I mean, again, it's all circumspect, but um, he didn't want to he didn't want to follow this and and I think he got sacked what I heard was that because he wouldn't take training wouldn't take them out so whether that's true or not uh, I think he has got principles but you know you'd, you'd, you'd love him in your, in your technical area when, in a cup final because he's just got history of winning them the word I heard was that he's totally lost the dressing room as well. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I thought, but, but Harry Kane did um, send a tweet out and, um, and, and thank him yeah, he did, but and I think that's quite a cute thing to do that he can do. I mean, I'm only I'm not in the Tottenham dressing room, but the reports are suggesting that not all was well in there, and it's a pretty dramatic move uh, six days before a cup final. And let's remember, Tottenham have not won a trophy for a long time. It's a big, a big um, a thing that they're trying to end, and you'd you'd want to have you know thinking about it the the greatest one match manager of all time, which is Jose Mourinho, and instead they've handed it to. Ryan Mason, he's got a, it's a great story in himself, and he'll be going up against Pep Guardiola, the, the the manager of his time. And you know, City, the, we'll talk about them in a minute. The quadruple is not lo- on anymore, um, but they'll still want to win this. And I still think the Abu Dhabi uh, syndicate think that this is an important tournament. Uh, any prediction quickly, Dino? Where's it going to go? Um, oh, it's hard. Um, look, I, I think based on, uh, and again, uh, it's. It's a one-off, but 
I'd like to see. I actually would like to see Tottenham uh, get get the result and, uh, and 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 win it. And I think that would be great for Ryan again. That would be two out of two. And you just don't know if he if, if he went on a run from there and got them possibly in the top four as well for Europe. He might keep the job. I tell you what, um, City lost the FA Cup semi-final to Chelsea 1-0. Chelsea deserved that. It wasn't going to be a great advert for this new European Super League, that game, was it, Dino? It was a pretty drab affair, and that's actually the point, isn't it, of this Super League, is that the best teams don't always uh, equal the the best um, the best uh, games. But are you looking forward to Chelsea versus Leicester in the FA Cup final? Yeah, look, I think that'll be a cracker. I think um, I think Tuchel's done a fabulous job since he's come in, and um, and Brendan Rodgers uh, always does a fabulous job wherever he goes. So they've got two decent managers uh, who are in form, and uh, I think it could be a cracker. Not all bad for Manchester City, of course, because they uh, beat uh, Aston Villa, as uh, Henry Winters told us earlier in the show, uh, and they did that with with ten men as well. They need eight points to. Uh, to win the title. Uh, there was a little bit of hope, Dean, with Manchester United closing the gap to eight points and they are in good form with uh, five on the bounce now. But that win, you know, I think if if the door had gone slightly ajar, I think the door is now well and truly shut. Yeah, me too. I think that I think City have won it. And it's just a matter of how close United can uh, get to, to... Obviously, they'll be runners-up, in my opinion, as well. So... Um, yeah, I think it's those two are done, uh, but then it's the remain, remaining places. What about United, Derek? I mean, they have they were in a lot of trouble early in the season. Um, there was um, there was a lot of punters um, crying out uh, or or announcing their their doom. But uh, what a what a revival! I mean, they have been they are the form team of the competition at the moment, obviously, but they're flying. Yeah, I just think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has managed to find a style of football that suits the, the players that he's got. Uh, I don't think uh, Jose Mourinho was ever able to do that at his time at United. And while Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is not on in the pantheon of uh, European managers but you know the more he continues maybe he will move up a notch he has managed to set this team up to to counter attack and one thing that they do have is bags of pace um, in the flanks whether it be Martial or Rashford and players cutting inside Mason Greenwood's return to form he's looked excellent recently too and they've got a couple of guys in the middle including uh, Bruno Fernandes who's just the you know the signing of the last couple of years, I think, in the Premier League. So um, I think the playing squad has a lot to do with it. Um, Ole, you've got to give him credit. He even seems to have managed to have got Paul Pogba to turn around. And while they're nowhere near the level of Manchester City or uh, at the moment, I think they're a good second. I think they're definitely ahead of the chasing pack, albeit I think Chelsea are closing down because of their new managerial appointment. And I would be interested to see how they go um looking to the bottom dean one thing that we do know is sheffield united are down they are yeah um and when we and we knew that and fulham probably that late jammy goal from arsenal probably has relegated <laughs> them as well um and i don't mind saying it very unlucky there um, but talking about Arsenal, uh, Joe Willock on loan from Arsenal uh, has led to this uh, Newcastle resurgence along with his mate Alan Sam Maxima, who's looked excellent. Look, Newcastle have been flying in the last couple of weeks and uh, they picked up some really good results. And I think one more result, possibly two, and, and they're 100% safe. Um, but you, you just don't know. I mean, Brighton, again, they drew, they've drawn in the week uh, and, you know, it wasn't against easy opposition. So they're picking up points. Burnley, 
you know, and I think they're they're in one of their patches that their consistency is actually not there right now. And I think they've got to make sure that you know, because Fulham, even though they've played one more game, Fulham are actually getting some results in the Premier League. Yo-yo continues, Derek, doesn't it? Because the the team's likely to go down: Fulham, West Bromwich, Albion, and Sheffield United. Coming up, Timu, Timu Puki and his mob at Norwich. They, they've uh, qualified for promotion. They just, they're yep. so far ahead in the championship. Who will be the other two teams, Dean and Derek? I, have, will... I have Brentford's one of them. Who do you think yeah. will come up? We, we need, some, we need some hope, fresh blood, don't we? Yeah, I, I, I hope Brentford's one of them just because yeah. uh, they're, they're in my tips for the, for the <laughs> end of the season. But I, I, I also think, yeah, uh, some new some new bloods, but I, I suspect that Dino's going to tell us about some some old uh, some old bloods coming back in. Well, it's it's going to be Norwich. Yeah. It's going to be Watford Norwich probably. and it's going to be Watford. I mean, Watford, if, like, I think in the last month and a half, that I don't think they've been beaten and they've just... And while the other well, ones have been drawing some games and winning, um, so I think the top two are pretty well set unless there's a, a real collapse. And Brentford will need to go through the playoffs, won't they? Yeah, yeah. I think so. And yeah. uh, and and look, and if you look at from Barnsley to Bournemouth, there's, there's only three points. But then if you look outside of that, there is a bit of a gap mm. to Reading. So to you're Reading. thinking, you know, a lot's got to go right in those those next three games. Six points to Reading, but yeah. importantly. Um, 12 points to, to Queen's Park Rangers. Yeah. No, exactly right. So, yeah. So, for me, I think almost the, the top the, the top six are done. It's just a matter of where they finish and then who plays each other in the playoffs. It's the bottom I'm concerned about. Well, all I can say is that, thank God, the Blue Noses look like they've just edged their way into safety. But your mob, Derby County, well, Dino... I do have a theory here, Edge. I do have a theory. Oh, yeah. Yes. I'll be interested no, to and hear I, this. No, and, and I've looked at it, is that Derby actually play Birmingham this weekend, mm, which okay. is massive. But what, is massive. what you've also got to remember is we keep looking at Rotherham and these games in, in hand. They actually have to play Brentford... And Barnsley in those two games, one on the weekend, well, one on season, Tuesday. So that's the season. If Derby get a result, so call it a three pointer or even a point. He's done the analysis. And the Rotherham lose. You've done more homework on this Rotherham than anything else for the and, show this and week. And Rotherham are playing way away. <laughs> both Rotherham are playing away, so mm-hmm. home field advantage. And obviously the team they're playing, they've got massive, massive. Right, yeah. So who's going to get relegated? Well, I think. I think brother of right. Sheffield and Wickham. Right. Okay, Dad, boys, we've run out of time. Um, right, stick, stick around. We've got some more um, uh, Super League talk in stoppage time. Thank you, Derek. Stick oh, with us. Next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. This is stoppage time. Fourth officials given it's about oh, seven and a half, eight minutes to go uh, to steer the ship home. It's been a, just an incredible week for football fans around the world um, and a satisfying one because uh, it seems the good guys have uh, got the result. But, um, yeah, we just want to sort of unpack it a little more, um, you know, bookend it from start to finish. We talked to Henry at the top, Henry Winter from The Times. Uh, Edge, um, look, you've got a few comments that you wanted to make. Chelsea fans actually blocked traffic outside. Delayed the game by half an hour. Yeah, and it it took the big man, Peter Cech, the former goalkeeper. I wonder if he, Derek, I wonder if when he got out of the bus to placate the fans and and ask them to let the, the team buses get through so the game could be played, 
do you think he would have had his helmet on? The pictures quite clearly show that he didn't have his helmet on. Um, he is also an ice hockey goalkeeper as well, so I think he is used to be kind of slammed around and buffeted around. So if you wanted one man out there doing that, he's a big fella. I reckon Peter Cech is would be great at crowd control so uh, good on him for getting out there I don't think that that was a bit below his pay grade at uh, Chelsea <laughs> that's for sure Jürgen Klopp he fronted up mm. on Monday night to the media and it was obvi- he was sort of one of the first managers to sort of be rolled out and mm. uh, I just thought um, he must have been thinking thanks very much owners because mm. Mm. Uh, they were hiding behind you know written statements and he had to front the media but um do you think he would like his time again uh, when he said he didn't know about it? Do you, do you actually no. be- do you actually believe that he didn't know about it? Mm. That he just read about it when it yeah. news broke? Yeah, no, no, I, I do you honestly believe. No, that? no, I do, I do. Um, one of the articles that, um, that that's in today's times uh, refers to um, a quite a a, a detailed um, Zoom discussion that uh, that played out where the, the the big six English clubs actually pulled out during the course of the the Zoom discussion and. Uh, the um, the former Downing Street spin doctor Katie Perrior um, had 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 a, a group conversation with all of the media managers of the, the big six clubs, and and each of them were told that they were uh, other than um, the owners, the only ones uh, along with the CEOs who who knew about it, and uh, and so the, the players and the coaches, as far as I'm concerned, were not aware. No, so um, and um, and I, I I watched that whole. I went back to on Optus and watched that whole uh, presentation from start to finish. To just to get every moment of it and and you could just tell that Klopp was seething he was doing his very best to try and keep it together but um, he was not a happy man so now I'm 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 gonna back my man okay fair enough. Dino we love it when a politician gets involved in this stuff and they see the glint of a, a populist a uh, bit of populist rhetoric and I thought Boris Johnson did a magnificent job when he talked about a legislative bomb to dismantle the Super League. I mean, he just would have been frothing at the mouth to get that out, wouldn't he? Well, he would do. And, uh, I mean, Boris has come out with quite a lot in his tenure. But I think my moment for this, like you know when sometimes in life there's a, a, a wow moment, where were you at the time? I was in the car and we were listening to uh, talk sports, as we always do, mm-hmm. driving in, you know, because we're, we're listening to what's happening over there. And it just went off. And from a 45 minute, from the minute I got in the car to get into work, the whole thing had blown up. And mm. one was coming off, one was now leaving. Now they're all leaving. And it was just unbelievable. I nearly swerved two or three times <laughs> on the mo- motorway. So, look, it's one of those moments where you'll always remember where you were when this <laughs> this bombshell was... But the one thing, uh, um, Derek, we haven't spoken about so far, and, and it has been spoken about many, many times in, in the past few days, is who in their right mind would have thought that uh, two of the most, you know, formally, and I underscore that, uh, uh, corrupt organisations in the world would suddenly be painted as the that's good guys. Right. Yeah, from your way from, <laughs> they, they took their opportunity. And that's my next question for Derek. What about when Gianni rang Alexander... Sifrin and they sort of worked out who was who was going to go first. How do you reckon that conversation went? And do you think it was Gianni saying, Alexander, I need you to say this, this, this or this, and then I'll follow up? I mean, it would have been a pretty lively discussion, Derek, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, look, I think the existential crisis was very much at UEFA's door as opposed to FIFA. I think FIFA would, you know, may well have 
you know, stood back and see where the wind was blowing. But, you know, I absolutely think that he would have, uh, Seferin would have been reminded about the, uh, the organogram of, uh, of, of, of world football <laughs> and where, where he is in that and, and his responsibility. And to be fair, I thought he played, he spoke quite well when he did. But as Rob said, look, well, he I mean, got I was, the words snakes and liars into his yeah. statement. And I thought that was impressive. Yeah, well, I, I think they'd gone quite far with these um, with these changes to the Champions League. And Henry mentioned, like they do, they're not that far away from you know big picture in the sense of you know Juventus will you know missing out, but as if they've got a good coefficient, they could get in anyway. And that that is the the slippery slope towards big picture it anyway. Is, if you're just going to yeah. start letting clubs in, not not even on merit. And for God's sake, how many chances do these teams need to have to qualify the the preliminary rounds against minnows from? Finland or the Faroe Islands or wherever it's you know it is laid out for them to and, be successful and 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 they've totally stuffed it up. And that's all I also thought. Obviously, these uh, these uh, administrators like Infantino and uh, Seferin have great PR and media people in their teams. And I I just thought the UEFA media guy might have the PR guy might have been watching a bit of late night TV and flipped onto the old movies and because when he came up with the term dirty dozen for mm-hmm. Alexander to, uh, to, to use in his, uh, in his rhetoric. I mean, surely, surely he's watched that movie, Derek. I think so. But, I mean, he, he did change his tune edge. You know, I was saying in the interview with, with Henry there, they were ushered back into the, pet, the tent pretty bloody quickly. Right, you know though. what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it wasn't, they weren't left out on the steps no. to think about it for a couple of days. And you've got these big games that we didn't talk about in Europe with the Champions League semifinals next week. This full of the whole, the whole lineup apart from Paris Saint-Germain is, uh, you know, that is there and also United and Arsenal in the Europa League. So and they're, they're there all there and they could have a, there is definitely some strategist in Paris at Paris at PSG's headquarters just now patting himself on the back, mm. sort of walk strutting around the corridor saying, mm. I told you so, I told you so. Well, there's, you know, there's one bloke, we can't let this show go by without mentioning uh, an honourable mention to Juventus chairman Andrea Agnelli, who, you know, Seferin and him were meant to be mates and uh, having, uh, you know, godfathers, which in the Italian culture, as you're aware, is a very, you know, very important role. Yeah. Um, you know, I uh, mentioned godfather again one more time in case anyone missed that. But uh, Andrea Agnelli, you know, he he was the uh, the mastermind puppeting this whole thing behind the scenes. And listening to Martin Ziegler, uh, um, Henry Winter's uh, colleague, who broke the story in the Times, talking about how uh, he he just lied to everybody. He told everybody at UEFA, "No, we got this sorted. Or I'm, I'm in, you know I'm, I'm heading up the clubs, and uh, and we're all coming um, uh, into the new change." And then he just wouldn't answer his phone. And that's when they realised, hang on, the shit's hit the fan. What's Andrea doing? And uh, it all just blew up from there. But <laughs> what a week in football. Unbelievable stuff. All right, boys, uh, Derek, um, well done. You, we we, we um, couldn't tell that you had that cold, apart from a couple of little sniffles. Very well done and uh, getting yourself off the canvas to do the show. Oh, well, look, in a week where Jose sat, I needed to be, I needed to be on there. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Dino, it was good to have yeah, you back in the studio. Yeah, good to be in the studio again. Yeah, yeah lovely, yeah. lads. How long has it been, Dino? I don't know. It's been a long time. So he looks the same. Oh, well, you were brand younger. music, brand music. Yeah, brand music. Yeah, it was yeah, about four, seven, yeah. eight months. And yeah. see, we're yeah. back in again. Thanks to Michael Burrows, our good friend. Yeah, if you need a jingle yeah. for your radio campaign, then you just got to get in touch you with do. Brand Music, doing all the best ones, including the Chemist Warehouse jingle across Australia. Brand Music, Michael great show. Burrows. We've had some best sensational best. guests tonight, and mm. who could who could forget the great Michael Lynch? Exactly. Reminiscing about all. Th- no, that was off it. No, that was on there too. We had him on the phone for about forty-five minutes. Well done, Edge. 
Thanks, Rob. Damo, Damien Tardio sitting there behind the buttons, making us sound as good as we possibly can every single week. Thank you for joining us. I hope uh, we have played our part in the whole, whole conversation around this whole Super League fiasco and you've enjoyed it, uh, but we do want you to come back next week and join us on Box to Box when we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.